All right. This morning's reading is a bit of a departure from our Gospel of Mark, which we've been looking at lately. It comes from the Old Testament's book of Exodus, which might surprise you as a choice for a scripture reading on Mother's Day. You'll recognize it immediately. It's the Ten Commandments. I really just wanted to focus on but one verse, okay? That was the commandment about the sons and daughters honoring their fathers and mothers. But I want to have a proper appreciation for that one verse. And so to put that into context, it demands that we read all of the Decalogue, right? All of the Ten Commandments together that surround that single verse. The, uh, The scripture will be up on the monitors, but if you'd like to turn to Exodus 20, In your Bibles or your pew Bibles, I'll begin at verse 1 and continue through 19. All right, the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Amen. That is the inerrant and infallible holy word of God, and I pray for its blessing upon you this morning. Of course, what we've just read is commonly known as God's Ten Commandments, which he gave to Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. This event, it took place during the journeying of the Jews, right? That's God's chosen people while they were making their way out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery toward the promised land of Canaan. 
I included, by the way, that last verse, verse 19. I included it so we could see just how really serious God is about these 10 rules, these 10 commandments. He's an awesome God. We know that. But if you're on the wrong side of him, he can also be a very fearful God. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak for us, or to us rather, you speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. All right, now before I focus on that fifth commandment, let me just say that these ten words of God, or ten commandments, they're more than just directives of supreme do's and don'ts. Taken as a whole, they actually comprise a treaty, a treaty of sorts, right? A a covenant that spells out broad principles that reveal much about the character of God. They're actually an expression of God's moral, his eternal moral values. And those values transcend. They go beyond the Old Testament and beyond the New Testament. They remain in force as much today as when God pronounced them to his people over 3,000 years ago. And as such, these are not a set of legal codes. They're not to be used in a court of law. You'll not find any penalties in them for disobedience. But instead, they're pronouncements of how we, of how people, are to relate to God and to each other. As God's moral, uh, moral law, they're an expression of him, the lawgiver, God. They're an expression of the lawgiver, who we are Uh, and, and who we are as his creatures. And therefore, these words of God, these commandments, they remain applicable in 2023. All right, we're not doing away with them. They're in place for us to follow as long as we have our breath here on this earth. And so I said that I was going to focus on the fifth commandment, but frankly, focus is probably the wrong word to use. But at least I want to use this commandment as a springboard to talk about our topic this morning. By now, you've probably guessed or read the bulletin. It's mothers. Yay, mothers, right? But even that's not the main topic. It just gets us to the goal of what every, every sermon's topic should be. Right? It gets us to Jesus. And so by honoring motherhood this morning, my ultimate aim is to honor and glorify Jesus. All right, so what is that fifth commandment? This morning's scripture reading from Exodus 20, it's actually verse 12. It tells us, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. All right, we've all, we all have parents or we've had parents. Regardless of our parental circumstances, that's the case. But why is this honoring of them so important to God that he would place it in 10 things? Really, he's got 10 things to tell mankind. And that's one of them. This relationship of child to mother or child to father. Why does God highlight, by the way, second only to himself? Right? The first four commandments were told not just to honor God, but to worship him. And then immediately thereafter, in a list of prioritization, he tells us to honor our father and our mother. It must be pretty important. 
Well, expounding on that question, of course, it's going to fill a lot of books and a lot of pulpit time. Lots of sermons can be taught or spoken about that topic. But the answer really is that God refers to himself. He identifies himself as a heavenly father. He sets that up. And he calls us his children. And by his creative will and wisdom, he has established, he set up this hierarchy of family, of relationship and authority of both, that exists in both heaven and in earth. His highest priority for our hearts and our obedience is reflected in the demands that he makes in these Ten Commandments, that we worship him and that we honor our father and our mother. And one of the ways that we do that, of course, is to respect or to honor those that he's placed in authority over us as human beings. It's our mom and our dad. Now, unless you've been living under a rock or not paying attention, I don't know how you could not know that uh, this morning, today, is Mother's Day. That holiday, by the way, in case you were wondering here, it's not prescribed in the Bible. You're not going to find anything about Mother's Day in Genesis through Revelation. It doesn't exist. The official Mother's Day holiday, I had to look this up. Maybe you know this, but the official uh, holiday for Mother's Day, it arose in the early 1900s in America. It was the result of the efforts of one Anna Jarvis. After her mom died in 1905, Anna wanted to formalize a day that specifically honored mothers for the sacrifices that they had made on behalf of their children. Of course, she was successful in that endeavor. Some, of course, mothers, under the sound of my voice, um, they've all sacrificed. All of you have sacrificed something, some more than others, of course, but all of you have gone through at least the physical pain of childbirth. And as extreme as that might be, that's probably the easiest thing you've had to endure in terms of being a mom. It's your easiest part of the arrangement. However, God wants us to honor our mothers not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. Because of the authority and the responsibilities that he's given to them. The fifth commandment doesn't tell us to honor our parents conditionally only if they make good or if they love us or if they do things that are right. No, we're to honor our mom and our dad because God set them up as an under-shepherd to carry out his will on earth. He created man and woman. He established marriage in between them. And he told them to go forward and have many babies, to be a family. And that is God's model for the family and for society. The New Testament has many examples. I'm sure you can think of some. Lots of examples of mothers and their importance. Some of those examples are very good ones, and others are just examples of how not to behave, right? How not to be. I want us to look at a few of the good ones this morning that will help us to see God's role for mothers, all to the glory of the Lord Jesus. My first example is seen in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It begins at verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his younger protege, Timothy. It's a bit long. I warn you now. 
It's a bit long, so I encourage you, if you would, turn to it in your Bibles. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I probably should have given it to one of our admin folks to put on the monitors, but, uh, but that's my fault. I did not do that. But either way, try to stay with me. Again, Paul, he's writing to Timothy. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that has happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now I ask you, did you catch it? Right? Lots of verses. Right there, sort of, sort of a little past the middle. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Okay, now hang on to that phrase. We'll get back to that. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, who do you think Paul's referring to here? Knowing from whom you learned it. From whom did Timothy learn the sacred scriptures? He's talking about two women, Eunice and Lois. Not the most popular baby names nowadays. Eunice and Lois. Eunice is Timothy's mother, and Lois is his grandmother. And there are three clues, which we'll step through here, that uh, that lead us to a conclusion that it is, in fact, they who taught Timothy, right? Mom and grandma. First, Paul refers in verse 15, he refers to this learning as happening from childhood. All right, next we see in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, we see these words. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. All right, that's Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy. So Paul's already connected Timothy's faith with what he got from his mom and his grandmom. The third clue is the answer to the question, why didn't Paul refer to Timothy's father? Right? You would think this patriarchal society patriarchal society would at least um, talk about the father and how the father taught him. Well, the answer to that is found in Acts 16.1. You need not turn to it. I'll just read it for you. It's where Luke tells us about how Paul chose Timothy in the first place to be his missionary partner. And Luke tells us, he says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father 
was a Greek. Apparently, Timothy's mother, Eunice, apparently she married outside the faith, which was a clear violation of the Old Testament law. A bit of homework if you want. I don't assign it, but Deuteronomy 7 explains that law for you if you are interested. So Timothy is the product of a home where, uh, with a believing mother and an unbelieving father. Okay, that's where he grew up. That's why Paul didn't say that Timothy learned the scriptures from his father. Because he didn't. His father didn't believe them. But his mother and his grandmother did. That's who Paul is referring to in 2 Timothy 3.14. Now let's apply this to today. All right, motherhood. The honorable role of motherhood. It should be honored because in rightly doing so, Jesus is glorified. It's Jesus who designed it. It's Jesus who created it. And it's Jesus who blessed it. How did he do that? He chose to be birthed by a mother. The incarnation in Mary's womb and by his words from the cross to John, one of the the most beautiful acts of final care ever uttered. He says this, John, behold your mother. That's the crucified Jesus. The economy of words that he uses in John 19, 27. His final act of care for his mom, Mary. John, behold your mother. The biblical calling on a woman's life is often to weave a fabric of family, right, out of commitment to a husband and to his calling and commitment to her children and to their training. And, of course, a commitment to Christ and his glory. As such, we glorify Jesus when we see and when we acknowledge this biblical calling of women who marry, who mother, and who manage a home. But that said, I also want to acknowledge the obvious, that there are millions and millions of single women many of whom will stay single. There's a grace for that, a grace from God for that role, a very special grace, and even for some, a calling. There are women who are single mothers, and that marriage element that I just described is painfully missing. Jesus Christ has a grace for that too. There are women who are married and cannot or with their husbands choose not to have children. Jesus Christ has a grace for that as well. There are mothers, of course, who weave together their mothering and their marriage and home management with a part-time or a full-time job outside of the home. Some because they may have to, like single moms. Others because they actually see it as part of their calling and they have found creative ways to interlace their daily routines, their schedules, so as to not compromise their core commitments at home. Jesus has a grace for them and that too. There are also mothers who sadly have simply been 
absorbed into the values of the world from television, from media, from friends, and they live their lives with zero biblical framework. My aim this morning is not to address all of these categories. These are many circumstances, but instead I want to encourage the women, and there are millions of you who believe that God's call in your life is marriage, right? that joyful support of a husband and his calling as you display what relationship between Christ and the church is to look like. And motherhood, the transmission of a God-centered, a Christ-treasuring vision of life to your children and to home management, where you create a beautiful and a simple place which becomes not only for the family, but also for the community. It becomes a refuge of Christ's peace and a launching pad for God's righteousness. This is a very high and holy and crucial calling that many of you will embrace, but that you'll also have little understanding and encouragement from the world, because the world doesn't think that way. Especially nowadays, I think that you can see many ways in which a woman of this character or calling, these roles, you'll be swimming upstream from the culture. You're the ones who have heard Titus 2, verses 4 and 5 as liberating. Not oppressive, but liberating. Paul said to Titus that older women should train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You've heard that calling is rich and as deep and as precious and high and holy. It confirms your heart's longing to shape a God-centered, Christ-exalting family and church and culture. Now, one other thing, one other thing I'd like to see in the Timothy text that we read a few minutes ago, that one of the ways, it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways to strengthen your faith and preserve through hard times and not give up on the scriptures is to remember who introduced them to you. Right? Who introduced to you the word of God and the way of salvation? Paul tells Timothy, he reminds him to remember your mother and your grandmother because they were the ones who taught him those things. And Edgemont, there's nothing more important than that. Lots of things are important and necessary, but nothing is more important than that. So I want to be very clear on this. The apostle of Jesus Christ in this text, he bestows on motherhood and on grandmotherhood and on great-grandmotherhood a great honor. You have a calling that can become a long-remembered ground of faith, not just for your children, but for the untold numbers of children that are affected by that. And that's in addition, by the way, to the thousands upon thousands of ripple effects of faith that comes from your life. Some of the most useful servants of God throughout history, I'm going to name three. There are thousands But some of the most useful servants of God throughout history, they owe a great deal of spiritual debt to their moms. 
Maybe you're sitting here now and you're counting yourself among those who are indebted to your mom for these things. The great 4th and 5th century patriarch of our church, Augustine, I hope you know that name. Augustine had a violent and an unbelieving father. But he had a very godly and faithful mother. Her name was Monica. She prayed for Augustine regularly. He ended up turning from his wild ways as a young man, and he turned his heart towards the grace of God and the gospel. He became one of the stalwart fathers of the Church of Jesus Christ. We still use his teachings today. Similarly, John Newton. You may know of John Newton. He wrote Your Amazing Grace hymn. He was raised by a godly mother and a very ungodly father, but from his mother, he learned to memorize hymns and the catechisms and scripture. And before she died, when he was only seven years old, he used those eventually, those early lessons that God brought back to his mind as a young man, to save him from a life of slave trading and debauchery. John Newton. And thirdly, Charles Spurgeon, another name that I hope you're familiar with. He had a nickname, the Prince of Preachers, or the People's Preacher. Though Charles Spurgeon's father and his grandfather were both pastors, he regularly referred to his, uh, in his sermons and in his books to the spiritual influence that his mother exerted over his life. All right, so by now, Edgemont, I hope that you see that a mother is a very high calling indeed. Even when the home life is fraught with difficulties, which it will be from time to time, challenges from time to time, both internally and, of course, pressures from the barbs imposed on it by society, a Christian mother has a great opportunity to influence her children for Christ. Her family, that's her mission field. And like all faithful missionaries, she should trust the Lord to supply grace to meet all of the challenges that impact the next generation with the gospel. So as I close this morning to all you mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, we thank you. I'm sure that you didn't do everything perfectly. Probably didn't even give it your best at times. But you do and did give of yourself. You did motherhood. And God has honored you in that calling. And we, your children, we honor you as well. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the glory of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. For assigning to us the model that reflects you the model of the family overseen by both father and mother. Ultimately, God, we praise you and we honor you, not only as one who gave birth to us, as in the case of our earthly parents did, but as the one who actually created the birth. God, you continue to astound us. The more we dwell on you, the more amazed we are. Bless us now as we depart this sanctuary, knowing that we have in you your perfect care, your perfect love, and your perfect protection. In Jesus' name, amen.